You're probably saying to yourself, hey, Doug, where's the music? Well, I'll get to it in just a second, but first I have a small announcement to make. The part of today's announcer is being played by Graham. Graham's not a real person. It's a computer that I had to hire because no one besides my family, uh, listener Shauna, and my cat have stepped up and said, hey, Doug, I'll be announcer for you. So I've had to outsource the job to a computer. Ugh, what is wrong with me? Anyway, thanks for your attention. Let's go ahead and start the show now. Lift off and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. Thank you, Graham, and welcome to the show. Fantastic job, as always. <laughs> okay, the first and only time you've done that, but nice job. And frankly, I'm talking to a digital recording. That's just how things are going for me here. All right, welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak. I'd like to welcome you to the show from wherever you're listening. Uh, at least nine different countries now have at least tuned in one time, so <laughs> I appreciate that. And over 66 cities here in the United States, so yay for all the listeners. Um, let's see. I'll give it another uh, college try. If you'd like to be an announcer for the show, you know, it's only four seconds. Um, all you have to do is go to 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, that's my webpage there. And I'll, it, there's a link, how to be an announcer. It tells you what you need to do. It's very easy. And you can be on the show because, frankly, you've heard I've had to resort to using animals and uh, computer-generated voices. <sighs> All right, let's get to today's topic. Well, you know, this is how it goes. I was trying to find something to do because we're still stuck in this pandemic and most of the fun things to do are still closed. And I was trying to remember what did we used to do uh, when you could go outside and the air wouldn't kill you, um, besides the major theme parks, what did we used to do just on a, you know, a Saturday afternoon? And then I remember, you know what? I miss miniature golf. And I love those little tiny yellow pencils. They're not good for anything else except for scoring a miniature golf card. So guess what today's topic is on? That's right, miniature golf. Now, believe me, there was a lot of research, but that's okay because I did the research, so you don't have to. Now, in case you've been living on some remote island someplace and you just got to shore and you went out and bought an iPhone so you could start listening to podcasts and you have no clue what miniature golf is, it's incumbent upon me to explain it. So here we go. Miniature golf is also known as mini golf, mini putt, midget golf, crazy golf, and the one I hate more than anything, putt putt. Now you'll find out in a couple of minutes why you really should never call it putt putt, but I don't think I really need to describe miniature golf anymore to you. You know, the little colored golf balls, little tiny short putters, uh, windmills, volcanoes, and those fabulous little yellow pencils. And the aim of the game is to score the lowest number of points possible. Or in my case, you want to get a score lower than your kids or grandkids. Now, sadly, that never happens for me, but that's always the goal. According to the official mini golf association called the World Mini Golf Sport Federation, or WMF as you all probably know them, they have an official uh, definition of the miniature golf courses, and they use, quote, artificial putting surfaces such as carpet, artificial turf, or concrete that have a geometric layout often requiring non-traditional putting lines such as bank shots and has artificial obstacles such as tunnels, tubes, ramps, water hazards, and moving obstacles such as windmills. I hate the windmills. Ramps and walls made of concrete, metal, or fiberglass. 
Now, when the miniature golf course retains many of these characteristics, but without the use of props or obstacles, it's considered purely a mini version of the parent game of golf. End quote. The WMF prefers you to use the name mini golf, but people have sort of made up their own names, including the aforementioned miniature golf. There's midget golf. There's goofy golf. Shorties. Let's go play a round of shorties. I don't think golf would ever come to mind on that one. Uh, Extreme golf, crazy golf, and adventure golf. The name putt-putt is a trademark of an American company that builds and franchises miniature golf courses in addition to other family-oriented entertainment. And the term putt-putt is sometimes used to refer to the game itself. But if you say putt-putt, you're talking about a trademarked thing versus mini golf or miniature golf or shorties. Okay, you remote desert island inhabitant, you now know all about miniature golf, but how did it come to be? All right, now this is for everybody. Here's the history of miniature golf. The oldest mini golf course in existence can actually be found in Scotland. It's the Ladies Putting Club of St. Andrews. And that was formed in 1897 as a members-only green for women golfers. This course for women uh, came about because of the conventions of the time said that it was improper for a lady to, quote, take the club back past their shoulder. In other words, they could not swing the golf club back. There may not have been any windmills or loop-the-loop obstacles on the course, but the green was and remains one of the most prestigious miniature courses around. Now, all of the early miniature golf courses fell under the few broad categories, including pitch and putt, regulation par three, and the executive. All of them used a short driver along with a putter and kept the same design as the larger courses that the men used, sand traps, hills, and ponds and greens. Geometrically shaped mini golf courses made of artificial materials like carpeting, those began to emerge during the early 20th century. The earliest documented mention of such a course was in a 1912 edition of the Illustrated London News. I'm sure you can look that one up if you'd like. It introduced a miniature golf course called the Golfstickle. Now, the first standardized mini golf courses to enter the commercial mass production were the Thistledew courses in 1916 in Pinehurst, North Carolina, and the 1927 Tom Thumb patent of Garnet Carter, from Lookout Mountain in Tennessee. Now, way back in 1922, there was a guy that had apparently nothing to do. His name was Thomas McCulloch Fairbairn, and he was a golf fanatic, and he kind of revolutionized the game with a special formulation of a suitable artificial green. His course was made up of a mixture of cottonseed hulls, sand, oil, and some kind of dye. That sounds like a really fun place to go play miniature golf, but, you know, it's 1922. What else are you going to do? Now, with this discovery, miniature golf became accessible everywhere. And by the late 1920s, there were over 150 rooftop courses in New York City alone. And I'm going to add this part, probably 80,000 golf balls on the streets of New York because, you know, rooftop golf course, you could do the math. Where where are they going to go here? Uh, also, there were 10,000, <laughs> sorry, I probably should not make up stuff when I'm telling you history, but the, the 150 rooftops is legit, the 80,000 on the streets, that's just not true, sorry. 
The American mini golf boom of early 20th century almost came to an end during the economic depression of the late 1930s. Nearly, but not all, nearly all the mini golf courses in the United States were closed and demolished before the end of the 1930s. Regulation miniature golf courses were, you know, they were just too expensive for the most part uh, for people to afford. So the so-called rinky-dink courses started popping up everywhere. These courses uh, were made up of obstacles that people scrounged from wherever they could find them. Tires, uh, rain gutters, barrels, and pipes. And eventually these kind of crazy obstacles became so popular with everybody that they became a regular feature of courses all all over, say it Doug, all over the United States when the uh, miniature golf kind of came back into fashion. A rare surviving example of this period is the Parkside Whispering Pines Miniature Golf Course located in Rochester, New York. I know I have listeners in New York. Have you been there? It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2002. And for my Canadian listeners, I know you guys are up there. The first miniature golf course in Canada was at the Maples Inn in Pointe Claire, Quebec. The MAPES, as you all call it was constructed as a summer home in the 1890s, but it was renovated into a club in 1902 and opened to the public in 1914. It had a miniature golf course in 1930. The popular uh, night spot, oh, burnt to the ground in 1985. Well, that's just kind of sad. I think this is probably a good time to take a break because you've been listening to me for now for nine minutes and 50 seconds. And when we come back, we'll talk more about miniature golf because, you know, that's the topic for today and the different kinds of courses and holes and more things about miniature golf you probably did not know. So please don't go anywhere. Please don't flip to another podcast. And I will be right back right after you listen to this. Hello, amigo. Chiquita banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you You can put them in a salad You can put them in a pie Any way you want to eat them It's impossible to beat them But bananas like the climate of the very, very tropical equator So you should never put bananas in the refrigerator To have bananas that are fully ripe you must be absolutely sure To take them home and let them ripen in a temperature Oh sure, sure, sure See, these podcasts are educational even during the breaks. Remember, bananas are from the equator, so don't put them in your refrigerator. There you go. All right, we left off with uh, miniature golf. That was like a minute and nine seconds ago. The earliest documented mini golf competitions were played in the United States. Uh, The first national Tom Thumb Open Mini Golf Tournament was arranged in 1930. And with the top prize being $2,000, There were playoff competitions across the country, and the final competition was held at Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it attracted 200 players representing 30 different states. 
After the Depression 10 years later, the mini golf as a competition sport in America began to die out. However, mini golf as a recreation activity began to take off. In fact, by 1930, the U.S. Commerce Department estimated there were 25,000 mini golf courses across the United States. In 1938, Joseph and Robert Taylor from Birmingham, New York, started building and operating their own miniature golf courses. These courses differed from the ones of the late 20s and early 30s. They were no longer just rolls and banks and curves with an occasional pipe thrown in. These courses not only had landscaping, but also obstacles, including the windmills, castles, and wishing wells that we all hate today. Okay, it's a love-hate thing. Impressed by the quality of the courses, many customers asked the tailors if they would build a course for them. And by the 1940s, Joe and Bob formed Taylor Brothers, and they were in business of building miniature golf courses and supplying obstacles to the industry. During both the Korean and Vietnam Wars, many soldiers played on Taylor Brothers' prefabricated course that the military had contracted to be built and shipped overseas. Wow, it's just darn nice of them. In 1953, however, a mini-golf revolution occurred. Don Clayton, he was the founder of Putt-Putt Golf and Games. He was fed up, sick of it, I tell you, of the trick shots in the Tom Thumb-style courses. If you ask me, he probably couldn't do the volcano, and that's why. Anyway, he became an advocate for the miniature golf as a serious sport. He designed back-to-back basic courses with only straight putts, None of the gimmicky hazards of the Tom Thumb courses. He wanted to focus on treating mini golf seriously and emphasizing skill and player improvement. What a buzzkill. Unfortunately for Clayton, but fortunately for us, his uh, vision did not hold out very long. In 1955, Al Loma and Ralph Loma, a couple of brothers, formed Loma Enterprises, and they ushered in a new era of mechanically animated hazards. You know the ones I'm talking about. The rotating windmill blades and the twisting statues and the moving ramps into the castle. That's another one I hate. I can never get it up that ramp. The Loma Brothers set the standard for courses that are still in use today. If we could actually go outside and play miniature golf. Let's shift gears and talk about the kinds of uh, mini golf holes. There's the pipe hole. You know the kind where you get the ball into a pipe. That's called a Russian roulette because no matter where you think that ball is going to come out, it always ends up someplace different than where you wanted. There's the windmill. That one requires perfect timing. You know, you you line it up, you count it out, you hit it, and then inevitably it hits the uh, blade. Uh, The impossible angle hole, that's where you can do all the math calculations, geometry, and and algebra you want. You hit the ball, it still isn't going to go where you thought it was going to go. For me, I'll line it up perfectly. I think I have the angle worked out. I'll whack the ball. It jumps the curb and flies about three holes down the course there. And I've got to go running across and excuse me, excuse me, and go fetch my little my little golf ball. There's the jump hole, and that's the kind that has a, a ravine or a creek crossing the uh, the fairway there. So you hit the ball. I can't tell you the number of Saturdays I spent having to chase a, a ball down the uh, the creek there, trying to fish it out with my golf club. And yes, it was usually my ball that was floating down the creek. Uh, then there's the looping hole. That's the one that looks like the Hot Wheels looping track thing. You can hit it really hard, and when it goes around that thing, it makes that whooshing noise. It's beautiful. It's a perfect thing. Uh, usually, you hit it, and it bounces back and hits the partner you're playing with. And lastly, there's the 
volcano hole. Do I need to say any more? 47 strokes to try and get that stupid little ball up the hill into the top end of the cup. Never going to happen. And wrapping it up, how about some courses around the country? There's the Around the World in 18 Holes in Lake George, New York. This is where there's two courses. One is the world, one's the United States. Each hole has a geography lesson for you. Wow. There's the Lexington Ice Center in Kentucky. It's a Bible-themed mini golf course and has a landscape Garden of Eden. Players choose between three courses, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Miracles course. Uh, I would choose the Miracles, hoping that my my actually would ball would go in the cup. Pirate Island Golf in uh, New Jersey holds the string of awards for the most highly complex golf course. You golf your way through a giant wooden pirate ship, and there's waterfalls and animated pirates. Uh, let's see what else. Portland, Oregon is home to Glowing Greens. This course is inside of a giant uh, room that's lit by black lights, so you have the neon colors everywhere. They've got uh, paintings of jungle artwork all over the walls, and you'll soon feel your golfing in the depths of the jungle. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, and there's an option to buy 3D glasses to take the course to the next level. Mayday Golf in South Carolina is possibly one of the more original mini golf concepts. The Mayday Golf Resort is a scenario golfing experience in which you and your friends are traveling on a plane for a golfing holiday when the plane crashes on a tropical island. And the only things you have to survive with are you and your golf equipment. One of the more famous holes is called Rescue Falls, which features a waterfall, a flowing river, and a rescue helicopter. And in my opinion, granted, this may just be my opinion, but in my opinion, the best miniature golf course I would love to go play at is Professor Hacker's Lost Treasure in Branson, Missouri. This exciting course, you take a train up to the top of a mountain, and then you play your way down the mountains. 36 holes will make you feel like you've landed in the world of Indiana Jones as you travel through caves, volcanoes, over waterfalls, around cliffs, searching for the lost treasure. Taking a train ride to the top of a mountain and then play 36 holes coming back down the mountain. That, my friends, is how you play miniature golf. If only there was something else to do in Branson, Missouri that does not include country music. I can't think of a single thing. And in wrapping this all up, this is what you may want to do. Uh, get your calendars out right now. Open up your iPhone, touch a little app there, the calendar app, and add the second Saturday of May in uh, 2021 because that's a uh, miniature golf day. So now you know. All righty, what have we learned in this episode? Well, we learned that the Victorian women have their own golf course because of that whole putter raising thing. We learned that some people take mini golf way too seriously, like you, Dan Clayton, and your putt-putt. And we learned that anytime you have to take a train to play miniature golf, well, that's just going to be a great day. I want to thank everybody for listening. I do appreciate it as always. And remember, it's 20minutespodcast.com if you would like to be my announcer, because if nobody sends anything in, who knows what it'll be next time. That will do it for me. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine 
It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, If you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can... uh, Leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.